My mother was very familiar with her neighborhood, but one day she stopped at the stop sign and she wasn't even really sure where she was at. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. The following is a special production of WSJ Podcasts. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger. Welcome to a special edition of Secrets of Wealthy Women. This week, Lean In President Rachel Thomas and McKinsey's Lorena Yee join me to discuss Women in the Workplace 2018, WSJ's annual study of the state of women in corporate America. Women are still underrepresented in corporate leadership roles. How come, Lorena? Well, first, to put a frame on it, we have one in 25 women of color is a C-suite executive, and one in five women is a C-suite executive. So we don't start or end very well on this. And your question is why? Well, we face a lot of challenges. Some of them we've known for a while, lack of sponsorship, the amount of manager support people get. But there are also a set of challenges that the report sheds new light on. What's the experience of being the only the only woman in the room, the only person of color in the room? Or what are the everyday discriminations and kind of daggers and knives that over time add up to be a lot? And we call those microaggressions. Definitely want to get into some of that in a little bit. But Rachel, I want to ask you, what do you say to women who aren't interested in becoming a manager or a leader because of they saw the struggles their mothers faced? It's a really good point. What I would say, though, that paints a little bit different story is you know, every year for the last four years, we've seen the same thing. Despite conventional wisdom, women are staying in the workforce at the same rate as men. Despite conventional wisdom, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, research would have said that women did not negotiate as often as men. They didn't ask for promotions as often as men. And yet we see year over year that is not the case. So not I'm not at all saying there aren't some women out there that may still feel some trepidation, kind of jumping in and really going for it. But the data, the story the data tell is that women are leaning in and doing their part. And so a lot of what we really found this year is it's really a story to me of what companies need to do better, that women really are doing their part. But what if you are one of those women say, you know, I saw my mom working all these hours and she was always frazzled and trying to balance both career and home and she felt like she didn't do it well. And I don't want that life. What do you say? I mean, a couple of things. So first of all, I think we all Men, women, we all struggle to balance work and life. And I think organizations need to do more to make work work for everybody. But some of it is also, and this is me just, you know, nothing nothing in the report, just me talking. I think as women, we need to get a little bit better at accepting imperfection. So when I'm like really busy at work, my house doesn't look so good. You know, like the, the, the kids are dressed, but maybe they're not like really organized in the way they're dressed. And so I think a lot of it is women, we're too hard on ourselves. We hold ourselves up to a very high bar, both at work and home. And if we need to make some sacrifices kind of in the moment, I think we often beat ourselves up for doing that. So my biggest piece of advice, take a deep breath, and allow yourself a little room to be imperfect as you struggle to kind of find that balance. Because let's be honest, there's no moment in time when you have perfect balance in your life. Lorena, the study found that women of color are more interested in becoming a top executive than their white colleagues. How come? Well, it shows that the ambition level of women of color are just as high, if not higher. So there's a bit of a mystique, a false perception that perhaps women don't want it. 
or perhaps women of color don't want it. So the first thing is they absolutely do want to be leaders in their organization, and that's a positive level of ambition. But here's the challenge. They're held back every single day, just a bit more and sometimes a lot more. And so some examples in terms of how managers support people, and we know managers are critical for your day-to-day experience. What we find is that managers support men they support women a little less and women of color a lot less. So I'll just give you a very concrete example. We all know to survive, every organization has some kind of politics. It's very common. And men will receive a lot of support on that, but women of color, for example, receive far less. As an example, women of color, black women, receive half as much support to navigate politics as women and even less so than men. So if you're a black woman or a Hispanic woman, how? what do you do? Well, I think you do what you've been doing for many years, which is you toughen up because you know that you're going to face greater challenges. And I think that's where we can toughen up. And as a woman of color, you can be very fierce and you can work hard, but you also need the environment to recognize that it's harder. And you need male champions, both white male champions and other women of color and men of color to actually create a more inclusive environment. Rachel, you have a new podcast called Tilton. And I'm just wondering on the podcast or also in the report, have you talked about how harassment and the gender gap in the workplace are linked? The biggest thing we've talked about on the podcast on Tilted, which I think is really applicable here, it was amazing. So we were writing this report. And as you know, one of the findings is that a lot of women, too many women are onlys. And so that means they say they're the only woman or one of the only women in the room or on the team. And what was so amazing is as we're looking at this data, it's like a big data set and seeing how many women are onlys, which is one in five. And then it gets a lot worse um, for senior level women and a lot worse for technical women. I was interviewing women across a lot of different industries, politics, sports, Hollywood, entertainment. And so many of them, with no prompting from me, used the term, I felt like the only. I was one of the only ones in the room. So I think that the big connective tissue I've seen between the conversations I've been having with women and then the work we're doing together on women in the workplace is how often that bubbles up as a theme and then how difficult that is for women when they feel like they're the only. We know from the research we do, uh, they feel more pressure to perform. They feel more isolated. They feel more on guard. And what's interesting, of course, is a lot of times organizations with the best intentions, they put that only woman on the team or that only woman, you know, on the project because in the name of diversity, but not realizing that they're creating a pretty tough experience for her. And it's unlikely she can truly be her best self because it's hard to speak up. It's hard to challenge the status quo and really assert yourself when you're feeling so on guard and so isolated. So did they talk at the women you spoke to? Did they talk at all about harassment, the whole Me Too movement? Even so it, it was actually, you know, more than what we talked about. Um, but it's a very fair question is the benefits of the Me Too movement, that it's really so in Hollywood, for example, as we all know, it has driven such an important conversation and really um, shined a light on something that we know is pervasive, but really has shown a light on it. And they really attribute a lot of the brave voices of the Me Too movement driving a lot of really positive change in Hollywood. So um, less about harassment itself and more about the positive um, impact of the Me Too movement. But of course, in the study, we found that 35% of women face sexual harassment at some point in their career. Again, that's even higher for senior level women, women in technical roles, and lesbian women. Uh, because they challenge norms, 
you know, we don't always like women who assert themselves or in positions of power. Um, or, you know, if you're a woman in tech, you're often alone. You're again, you're back to being an only. And so um, we found that. And then we also really see a pattern where a lot of companies have the right policies in place. So they say explicitly they do not tolerate sexual harassment, which of course they should. But employees are not so sure that that's actually being kind of lived out in practice. So about 60% of employees are not confident that a claim of sexual harassment would be handled fairly, and about 30% don't think it would be handled quickly. So for us, that's a message to employers. Great that you have the right policies, and that is an excellent start, and of course you should, but how do you on a day-to-day basis really underscore that sexual harassment and other demeaning behavior will not be accepted in your workplace? fair amount of women feel that these diversity initiatives or gender initiatives are just lip service. And what do you say to them, Loretta? Uh, I'm a fairly optimistic person. And I think that what we are going through in the U.S., especially for U.S. companies, is bridging the gap between an intent, a very good intention, and actually building it into the muscle of how we work as companies. And what I mean by that is for the last four or five years, and really probably beyond that, Gender diversity has been a business initiative. It's been a top priority for companies. It's anywhere from 85 to 95 percent of companies will say it's a top priority. And I don't think that's lip service. If you talk to executives, they are serious about changing. But here's the thing. They don't always know how. And probably the thing they are confident about is that what they've been doing in the past is not yielding results. And so as they report it to their board, as they share it with the employees in their company, they're a bit at a loss. What do I do differently? And that's a question I get a lot when we talk to companies one-on-one or when we share what we're doing. And so I optimistically think that we have 279 companies that opted in to providing all their data and pulsing their employees because they're trying to search for what are the more innovative ways to make a difference. Um, I think it's really hard to be patient for change. So I think for women who feel frustrated, I hear that frustration. I think there's a question of how do we contribute? And there are big things that top leadership have to do, but there's also sort of things around micro-inclusion and micro-actions. And all that is is fancy words for how do you lead day to day? How do you stand up for everyday discrimination when you see it? How do you provide opportunities? As simple as you see someone, maybe a black man, who's in the meeting with you and his opinion isn't being heard. And you say, what do you think, Sam? Or you hear a woman who is getting mansplained, as the more colloquial term is. You say, wait a second. I think she has a point. Let's hear it. So I think there are a lot of things that we can do day to day to contribute to changing culture. Now, if you are a woman on the receiving end of some of these microaggressions, such as, you know, being assumed you're a lower ranking person than you actually are, is there anything you can do? I think there's a lot of things you can do, and I think women do it all the time. So one is, um, as Abby Wambach said in her graduation speech, I really loved how she said it's a wolf pack. So whether there's only one woman or maybe, you know, five women or 100 women, there is something very valuable about women supporting women. And one of the practices that I've seen that's been incredibly helpful is calling out positive things that you see other women doing. You know, we live in a fairly critical society often, and business can be a pretty harsh place, and calling out something positive. Another thing that I've seen a lot of people do is to share kind of gratitude. So it's flipping it from a negative point to positive. I think the other thing is there are a lot of male allies in any company, and they have daughters, they have sisters, they have wives, they have colleagues who they deeply respect. And if you tell them how they can help by intervening quickly, by 
by making them aware, here are the five types of everyday little microaggressions that are just driving us crazy. It's really helpful. My mother was very familiar with her neighborhood, but one day she stopped at the stop sign and she wasn't even really sure where she was at. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from The Wall Street Journal. Welcome back to a special edition of Secrets of Wealthy Women, a look at the Women in the Workplace 2018 WSJ Annual Study of the State of Women in Corporate America. Rachel, what do you say to men who are afraid to help a woman because they're afraid to be in a room alone with them at this point because of Me Too. So interestingly enough, Lean In, um, in partnership with SurveyMonkey, we did a survey uh, early this year in the wake of the Me Too movement, and we asked just this question. Are you comfortable being in a room one-on-one with a woman, doing everyday you know, work things with a woman? And about 50% of managers, managers who are men, said no. And on one hand, I understand this, right? When the national dialogue and discourse is all about sexual harassment and where the line is and not stepping over the line, you can understand that men would feel a little bit of reluctance. But my message is take a deep breath and get over it. And really, you know, our message is not harassing women is not enough. You need to be part of the solution. And I think many men do want to be part of the solution. To Lorena's point, I don't, I'm not sure they always know what to do. So one of the biggest things is we know that women don't get as much of the good mentorship, the really valuable mentorship, and really sponsorship, which is opening doors for you and advocating for you and putting your reputation on the line for someone else. We know women often don't get that. So one of our biggest things is, you know, if you're a man and you have one sponsor, please go get two or three you know, women sponsors. And then the other thing is to think about equal access. I hope we get to a point in the workplace that it is just generally so respectful and inclusive that this isn't an issue for anyone. But if in the meantime, a man does not feel comfortable having dinner with a woman, have a group lunch. But don't take the guys out for drinks. And then the women don't get access to you if you're a senior leader. Kind of figure out what you can do on your team and in your organization to be just very aware of this and level the playing field. So even if you don't feel 100% comfortable, meetings with your door open. As I said, don't go to dinner at a dark place, go to lunch in a bright area and find ways that you're creating equal access for women. I think that's critically important. We hear a lot about sponsorship. So if I'm a woman and I want to find a sponsor in the workplace, what do I do? What are the steps I need to take? Yeah. So the tricky thing is, I think there's a, I think a lot of times, particularly coming out of undergrad, like I remember being told, like, get a mentor, get a sponsor, go get one, as if it was easy and you could just kind of go door to door and kind of ask someone to be your mentor or your sponsor. The bottom line is, Do good work and find individuals in your organization, regardless of their women or men, that are doing things you think are interesting, that you think you can contribute to. Drop them an email with an idea. Ask if you can take on a little extra work or help them with a project. This is really about um, creating natural, authentic relationships with people. And that's why I think it's so important that organizations think about how they staff teams. Although I do think it's on the managers and leaders to be sponsors, both men and women. So... Women are typically over-mentored and under-sponsored. And as Rachel said, the difference is not just being supportive, but opening up opportunities professionally. And that is the role of leaders. 
And good leaders open up opportunities, and good leaders realize that they don't just open up opportunities for people who look and talk exactly like them, but for everybody who's in the room. And so as a manager or a CEO or top executive, it's your job to look fairly at the work that's being done and say, here is someone, maybe someone who doesn't look anything like me. But let me open up a door for her or him. I just want to go back to one thing you said. You sure. know, if, if you're going to send an email to someone, say, oh, I have this idea because you hope that person's going to become your sponsor. How do you do that without ruffling the feathers of your own boss? I think that's a, I think that's a great question. I mean, I would hope, and I think there's a bit of naivete in what I'm about to say, I would hope that your boss goes, well, there's someone on my team who's impressing someone more senior or asking to contribute at a different level and really celebrate that. If not, I think a lot of it's just in tone and maybe asking your manager and kind of letting them, them, let him or her know or the tone to the senior leader or someone kind of higher up the stack is just very um, complimentary, enthusiastic, and, and very light touch. I'd love to if it makes sense. We're still hearing women are still doing more of the housework What impact does that have on their careers and pay? One company that we looked at, their senior leadership was almost exclusively single career household, meaning that whoever that was, and in most cases men, they held all of the professional and work responsibilities and they had 100% support at home. This is something that may not sound too unfamiliar. At the same company, we found that everybody else looked really different. And that meant that they were about 80% dual career, meaning both the men and the women in that company had dual careers. And so I do think one of the things we need to be aware of is that the generation of those who sit in our seats is changing. And the way in which we orchestrate work, assuming that there's someone full-time taking care of everything at home, doesn't fit how actually both men and women live today. And for women, there is a, there's a double bind. There's a challenge of having all these responsibilities, especially if you're the primary breadwinner. And then also the stereotype that you're supposed to actually take care of the kids and the household and all sorts of other things. Um, So I do think it's really, really difficult. I think that in very successful kind of communities, women help each other through this. Um, And I think also you start to see men taking a bigger load. And why not ask them to? Um, One COO told me that to change the culture, what she started doing uh, was she would say, oh, it's four o'clock. And as you guys know, on Thursday, you know, I do take a two hour break for, you know, the soccer game. And then she had encourage one of the guys to share that he was doing this too. And so by role modeling the most powerful people in the room were doing things to balance their responsibilities at home, and it wasn't just the female. Um, There were also male leaders doing it. Pretty soon people started being much more open about the types of commitments they had beyond the office. Marina, if you could give one piece of advice to companies who want to advance women, what would you say? I would say make sure every leader in your organization is actually thinking about the advancement of women each and every week. Can I answer that one too? Please. So one of the things that we've seen the last couple of years in a row, I think that you know we've always talked about women hitting the glass ceiling. And so a, a lot of focus in organizations is 
on making sure you don't lose women as they're getting more senior and really supporting senior level women. And let's be clear, that is critical. But what we see every year is it's less women are being hired in at the entry level, which makes no sense because women have been getting more college degrees for about 30 years. When you look at that first critical step up to manager, so you're just getting into management. Women are less likely to be hired into manager level roles, and they're less likely, far less likely to be promoted. For every 100 men that gets promoted to manager, 79 women do, and only 60 black women. So what happens when you get to the manager level in organizations, two-thirds of your managers are men, and one-third of your managers are women, and they can never catch up because you promote from the level below at every level after that. So organizations really putting a laser focus on what's happening early in their pipeline, I think is really important. And what I like about this, too, feels very actionable. These are candidates who are out of university, pretty equally trained and educated. And so it's hard to imagine that organizations, if they really focus at the very beginning of the pipeline, can't change these numbers pretty quickly, and then it will have a dramatic effect on the overall pipeline. Rachel, what advice do you have for women who are afraid that they'll be seen as pushy if they ask for more? So we know that women are asking for more at the same rate as men now, which we're thrilled. But we do know also the point that I think you're making is women face some social pushback sometimes when they do. Called assertive, a little pushy. And so the big piece of advice I have, two things. Actually, three. So the first is if you're afraid to go for it, afraid to apply for the you know promotion or afraid to ask for the raise, remember the man sitting next to you probably is not afraid to do it. And so play a little healthy head game with yourself and go for it. The second, if you're asking for more money, is add 20% to kind of whatever number you think is right. Just, just do it. Like, trust me, that will probably get you closer to where you actually should be. And then the third thing is we know that women do better when they negotiate and they use communal language. So men can say, I deserve it. I've done this. I've done that. Women, it's very helpful if you say, I want to be the best contributor to this team. This would allow me to be more effective and to better support you. So I wish I didn't have to say that women need to do that. But in the meantime, until we learn how to all of us check our bias at the door, that's something women can do um, that is proven to get better results. Can I answer that one too? So I think that there are – the first thing is women should imagine that they are as successful as their ambition takes them. And then they should appoint their own board of directors. You don't make it in the business world by yourself. So go find your board of directors inside your company and outside. And these are people who are both men and women who are in positions to open up doors for you, to be powerful, and make them your board. Hear their feedback. Get their ideas. Have them open doors for you. Um, Oftentimes we wait till we're really senior to think we should have a board of directors. Start early. This episode was produced by Tanya Bustos. John Wardock is the executive producer of WSJ Podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Veronica Dagger. What's your secret? Let us know. Write podcasts at DowJones.com or on Twitter. Use hashtag Secrets of Wealthy Women. <laughs>